Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Daily Faceoff Podcast comes courtesy of the Nation Network. Here's your host, Brock Segan, with Dylan D. Berthium and Michael Biebs Bondi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 9, Episode 1 of the DFO Fantasy Podcast, presented to you by our friends at Betway. I'm your host, Brock Segan. As always, for the ninth season in a row, we've got Dylan D. Berthium and Michael Biebs Bondi with us. Fellas, I, I honestly can't believe it's been nine years already uh, in that time. I think the, the first time we even talked about this, it was like my second date with my wife. And in that time, I've gotten married. I got a kid on the way in December. A lot has happened in nine years, and we're still out here grinding. So, D, welcome in for season nine. How's it going, buddy? Happy to be here, man. They, uh, they said we couldn't do it. They said maybe you guys, you know, get six, seven, eight seasons mm-hmm. in yet, but there's no way you guys will get up to nine. And here we are. So it just feels great to prove the doubters wrong. You know, that's what we do here. And Beebs, how you doing, buddy? Um, I'm doing great. You know, that, like D said, they always say shows start to take a, a downfall around, you know, six and seven, but we just, we've been getting hotter. Um, there's a lot of people here who I think just went, oh, because they were hoping they're like, oh, maybe it became a two man show, but Beebs is back. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, we, we we cannot wait to dominate some leagues. It's it's been a little bit since uh since we've we've got those dubs. So we're uh, we're ready for uh, we're ready to help some people out. And uh, glad to be back. Yeah. So NFL fantasy football is fully underway, which means we are back with the fantasy hockey content. Uh, not only on the DFO podcast, but all over dailyfaceoff.com as well. Yep. Uh, the draft kit will be. Coming out shortly, uh, you know, as if you've used the draft kit in years previous, uh, I've got my rankings, customizable projection rankings as well. Those will be available uh, hopefully sometime this week. And then just we add to it constantly, adding articles here and there. Uh, I've already written one just looking at the early ADPs. It's still a little early to dive really deep in the ADPs because, you know, not too many fancy hockey drafts have happened. But as we've said in the past, those numbers tend to stick, you know, stick so pretty yeah, you know, pretty well over the course of the draft season. So it's worth taking a look at. So if you want to check out my first piece, um, Biebs, you've got a couple coming out here in the next few days as well. So we're just going to continue to add. Uh, Nick Alberga, Matt Larkin have also uh, done a couple things as well. Both their rankings are already up on the site. Uh, so yeah, we've got lots of stuff at uh, dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, as far as the ZFO podcast goes, uh, we are going to be bringing more episodes this week. Uh, sorry, this year. Uh, than ever before uh, but we're still going to have our flagship show once per week nice long form 90 minute show sometimes longer if we get carried away which we tend to do most here. times longer yes yeah so it's been a long off season lots has happened um, and if you haven't been glued to your phone if you've been on the golf course or boating or doing all the fun things that summer has to offer we're here to catch you up on everything that happened this off season some of the biggest signings the biggest trades just talk about the, the the old faces in new places and go over what their fantasy situation looks like now. Um, 
you know, did they end up in a better fantasy environment? Did they end up in a worse fantasy environment? Do we like where they're at in their ADP? Do they have sleeper potential on their new team? We're going to do all that. Obviously, we're not going to go in depth on every single player that moved teams this offseason. We'll go in order uh, of ADP, talk about some of the key ones, and then just mention a couple names in passing at the end and just talk really, really briefly about what we expect from them this season. So without any further ado, let's get right into it with Eric Carlson. Carlson had an absolutely insane year last year. 25 goals, 76 assists, 101 points. He moves from San Jose to the Pittsburgh Penguins where he joins Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Jake Gensel. You can go on and on. Lots of talent in Pittsburgh, but now they've got Eric Carlson. Uh, Current ADP of 40.2, which is the fourth round. Um, It's an interesting spot. For, for Carlson to land. Obviously, Chris Letang has been there for a very long time. He's been in a super effective fantasy asset. How Carlson fits into the mix there will be interesting. Obviously, you'd imagine they brought him in to, to be a key role, uh, play a key role on that power play, much as like Chris Letang has in the past. So it's going to be weird to see, like kind of similar to last year with Tyson Berry, Evan Bouchard, you know, are they both going to be on the power play together? Is it going to be one? Is only one of them going to be able to have a crazy amount of fantasy value? I tend to think that these two will probably be on the same power play unit more often than not. But D, what do you make of Eric Carlson going to Pittsburgh? Yeah, I I, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's the real big concern and probably something that we won't have an answer to until a few weeks from now once we... Um, you know, start to get into the preseason. Hopefully uh, it just depends on uh, the reporting done in camp, whether or not we, we get some, um, some names in, in terms of how they're rolling out those uh, units. But I would imagine there's going to be a lot of experimenting as the year goes on um, just in terms of whether they're going to go three and two on that top unit or stick with four forward and just one defenseman. So really unclear how it's going to shake out, but I would expect Carlson to be manning the top power play unit either way, uh, whether or not Latang is there alongside him. Uh, I don't think they give up the capital they do in order to play him on their second unit. Uh, and I do think they're going to try to protect him at 5v5 a bit. And the power play is going to be where they look to really uh, maximize his value in his production. So uh, I do think in terms of, you know, the situation he's going into, it is a better power play. But I do think his usage as a whole sees a decrease. Certainly not expecting a repeat performance from last season. There'd be some aggression coming, even if he was going back to the same situation in San Jose. He shot 12% last year. Uh, very high from the blue line. He's a career 6.9% shooter and enjoyed an 11.9 on ice shooting percentage as well, which is the highest rate he's ever maintained over a full season. So uh, I don't think another 100-point season is in his range of outcomes. Uh, I do think he still finishes comfortably inside the top 10 fantasy defenseman, but his current ADP is just a little too rich for me uh, going in the fourth round, right around 40th overall. I'd feel more comfortable um, just in a vacuum with Yossi, Darlene, or even Dougie Hamilton, uh, who are all being drafted after Carlson right now. It's just a little bit messy of a situation when you're not a thousand percent clear on how that those power play minutes are going to dole out. And it's really hard um, to be, uh, you know, a top five or, a, you know, top three fantasy defenseman if you're not uh, getting the clear cut minutes on, on that power play. So uh, just a bit of a concern. And because of that, like I said, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable with Yossi, Darlene, Dougie. Uh, so probably staying away from Carlson around that ADP right now. Yeah. With yeah. All just those to, sorry, Beebs, just to, yeah. just to give you guys a better idea here, his current ADP of 40th uh, is the number three uh, mm-hmm. defenseman off the board. So as you mentioned, you know, Darlene Hamilton, uh, Quinn Hughes, Yossi, those guys are, are the clear cut number ones, the alphas in the room. Uh, Beebs, 
before I go to you here, what, what do you think in terms of Chris Letang's value? What does this do to Chris Letang's value? Is this crater it? Because right now, you know, you do get a pretty good discount on Chris Letang. Uh, you know, he's going all the way down uh, in, I think, the 70th pick, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so, yeah, hundred sorry, 117th pick. So his value has um, depleted, I, I guess, from how the fantasy community views it. Do you think it's the same, or do you think that he is still capable of having a really big season next to Eric Carlson, and Latang could actually be the one you want because he's going to come at such a draft value? I think we may have just found ourselves a mid-show sleeper, boys, because absolutely, I mean, this is, Latang's been a guy who can consistently give us 10 goals a year from the back end, and that's something that we only see from about 30 or so defensemen a year, if that, and he's done it now for uh nine times in his career so he's definitely capable of it um one thing that i don't really mind is as far as time on ice goes Latang was only playing 24 50 last year not only that is quite a bit but carlson was kind of playing the same amount out in san jose so i think that these two guys that still leaves a lot of ice time for some a uh, little bit noticeably weaker defensemen in pittsburgh there's still 35 minutes to go around for the other bottom bottom four the other four defensemen um which i think is plenty so i think these guys can both push out 25 minutes again or 25 minutes around there because they've both done it throughout their career also mike sullivan is i mean i could kind of see him as an old school style coach and it's funny we're even saying this anymore but running the two defensemen power play there's no issue with that um you still have sid you still have malkin um you still have your bumper shooters and you can put raquel or whoever you want out on the edge there so i i think uh i think letang might actually be kind of him and Carlson might come a lot closer in points, um, which is more to say Carlson's regression, which D called. And I have to agree with, cause he's just not a hundred point defenseman usually. Um, and I think Latang goes a little bit closer to his 55, 60 range that we've seen from him out of a lot of years. He only had 50 less shots than Carlson last year. So it's not like, you know, Carlson's still going to shoot. Um, Latang's still going to shoot, but, he, but, he's not going to be, it's not like he demands those shots and it's not like Carlson's necessarily taking them away. Um, so yeah, so I, I think he's going to go up a little bit. Uh, I got him closer if he can stay healthy. Um, I'll repeat that. If he can stay healthy, that's kind of the <laughs> he, big thing here. It's always he's the, only thing. the 27th defenseman off the board right now, which is just Oof. absolutely bonkers that you could maybe Such get this guy man. as your, as your third defenseman. I think the one thing too, about Chris Letang is He's always been a pretty good producer at 5v5. The Penguins, you know, mm-hmm. usually a team that's pretty good at 5v5. I mean, in 2022, he had eight even strength goals and 38 even strength assists. So even if he loses a little bit of love on the power play, Chris Letang can still be somebody that's pretty serviceable, especially if you get him as a number three defenseman. Uh, Beebs, before we move on to the next name, I just want to know, in terms uh, of what D said, do you feel more comfortable with the Darlene Yossi Hamilton than you do Eric Carlson going into the season? Yeah, actually where I was going to step in um, originally Brock and I'm kind of glad we came back and that you didn't say what you said because it was way more important, but it's just floor (laughs) versus ceiling for me. And um, I see, I see a lot of these guys. I think they're kind of in the same realm, but I just see them with the potential to show us more where Carlson's getting older. I think Darlene's the sky's the limit with that dude. I actually I haven't put my D rankings together yet, but I could easily see myself 
um, debating in my own mind if he is the best defenseman out there. So I think um, he's up there. Hamilton, we've loved just the shot, shot, shots. And if I can get 100 more shots from a defenseman, I'm going to take that 100 more shots because even if he shoots 8%, I'm going to get better stats than if Carlson somehow duplicates this 12%, which he's not. Um, and then uh, who was the third one there, Brock? Uh, oh, it was Yossi, who's, which I'm going to take. I mean, obviously Carlson beat him in points last year, beat every defenseman in points, but I mean, go back the last six years and you're well, two years Yossi. ago, Roman Yossi had the most points among defensemen. Exactly. And we were thinking and he could be a hundred point guy. It, it's interesting. You know, I, I, it's pretty early in season nine to be giving ourselves pats on the back already, but <laughs> two of our sleeper defensemen last year were Eric Carlson and Dougie Hamilton and both bounced back in massive ways this year, their ADP are third and sixth defensemen off the board. So clearly, we nailed those ones a season ago. Uh, the next name on the list is one that I'm very excited about for obvious reasons. As a Detroit Red Wings fan, Alex DeBrincat moves from the Ottawa Senators to the Detroit Red Wings in the offseason. Last year, a bit of a down year. Still put up 66 points, though. 27 goals, 39 assists in 82 games. His current ADP is 58.8, which is the fifth round to bring out obviously a guy that we've seen have massive seasons in the past right i mean a 40 goal year in 2019 another 41 goal year in 2022 uh some down years sprinkled in there so not the most consistent uh producer but a guy from michigan heading home to play for the detroit red wings very exciting as a red wings fan i think that there is a lot of potential here uh for him to you know have great chemistry with somebody like Dylan Larkin and, you know, provide the Red Wings with a true dominant uh, top line, which they've been lacking in previous seasons. So to bring at, um, you know, is he a lock for 40 goals? No, but definitely a guy that you'd expect to flirt with 35, 35 this season. What do you think Dylan? Uh, yeah, I, I think he's in a great spot to uh, hopefully rebound from, as you put it, Brock, what was a slightly underwhelming campaign last year. We know he's a streaky shooter, um, you alluded to it, but we've seen him shoot as high as 18% over a full 82 games before and as low as 8%. So uh, there's always some baked in risk when you're selecting to bring cap. But I, I think considering how shallow the wings are, um, he is a great pick at his current ADP. We always say there's a huge benefit of grabbing one of the elite wingers early because there's so much more depth at the center ice position. Um, but obviously that high end center talent can be pretty tough to ignore sometimes in the first round. So I think the bring cat is a great target and sort of that winger dead zone to kind of steal a term fantasy football but in that kind of fourth fifth sixth round range where it's really kind of hard to find um quality and elite upside at the position i think the Brinkat is the exception there this year um so if you if you end up in a spot where you just can't resist a matthews mckinnon or dry on the first round or, or god willing you get to pick first overall and you get Connor mcdavid um then i love the Brinkat as a fallback option for your wings and sort of the middle rounds there i think he'll be a focal at uh, a focal point at 5v5 and on the power play uh larkin has always played extensive 5v5 minutes with his team's best winger going back to the jeff blashell area and that carried on last season with the lawn so i do expect that to be the case again this season um and again it's just uh, you you move that type of capital for the guy he's going to get every opportunity in the world to produce so like i said there's some risk in how volatile the shooting percentage has been in the past but his assistant assist totals and the shot volume still gives him a really sturdy floor uh to where i think to your point brock he's a safe bet for somewhere around 30 goals 40 assists and then if he has a hot year shooting the puck 
Uh, I really do think he's got 50 goal upside this year. Again, assuming he is at the very top of his game and converting his chances. And he's around that, you know, the 18%, which is the high end we've seen from him uh, in seasons before. So I do think he has that potential, which you really can't say um, for anyone else left on the board at that point in the draft. Yeah. Uh, just to give you an idea before we go to Beebs here, uh, he averages basically 270 shots uh, per season over the last two seasons, uh, career 14.4% shooter. If he, fires at that career clip and he, and he hits that 270 shot plateau uh, that would put him on pace for 39 goals. So he's basically a guy that can average 40 goals a season. And as you said, if he can really find one of those, those, you know, 18% shooting years, he's a guy that could definitely go for 50 and, and potentially be a, a league winning type pick. Beebs, what do you have to add on to bring that? I, I personally, I love this guy, especially where he's going in the last three seasons. Uh, he's actually 12th in the NHL in goals scored. And I can assure you that pretty much every name ahead of him there is getting picked in the first three rounds, other than maybe Chris Kreider, which kind of blew my mind. Um, but that's a hundred goals in 216 games, which is very, very impressive. And at the same time, why I kind of like what's happening here is um, he's been an absolute power play stud. He's 15th in the NHL in that same period and power play goals. So he's clearly converting it in those situations. And I don't know if you'll agree Brock as a Detroit fan, but I think that their power play's kind of been lacking that true someone to just put that puck in the net. And I, I here it is. I, Dylan Larkin took a massive step forward last year. If you don't think this is going to refuel him and repush him to go even bring this team to further heights, um, he, this is everything he wanted. He finally has the confidence from not finally, but he finally has the pieces around him that he deserves, I guess I'd say. Um, and it's good to see. I mean, I, I nothing against Tyler Bertuzzi who's been rolling on the side with him for the last couple of years. Um, but I just think that Brinkett really is a true elite scorer and he's proved it with his two forty one goal season. So um, D put it great. There's, you're going to get to a spot where you kind of just have to choose a bunch of different, just picks in a bag almost. And if you can pick someone who can get you 50 goals around there, who yeah. also plays wing, you're uh, you're going to walk out of there laughing at the end of the year. Yeah. The Red Wings power play has been pretty futile for years. Uh, they got to 17th in the NHL conversion rate last year. So definitely a, a unit that uh, improved. And then adding a guy like to that should certainly help. They've been really, really um, in dire need for a true goal scorer like to is so huge addition for the Red Wings. And I think could definitely be a huge addition uh, to your fantasy team. As we've mentioned in years previous, uh, the wing positions are definitely much uh, shallower than the center position right now. His ADP of 59.1 makes him the ninth uh, drafted right winger at the position. So a low end right wing one with definite top five uh, finishing position uh, at the right wing position. Yeah. Worst case, uh, you're getting like 50 points out of it. If he stays healthy and even that it's probably going to be 25 to 30 goals of those 50. So you can take it. But yeah, going six right wing spots later was another one of our sleepers last year. Tyler Toffoli goes from the Flames to the New Jersey Devils, had an absolutely outstanding season in Calgary. Uh, You know, obviously the fact that they were a bad team was, you know, overshadowed. I think a lot of what uh, Tyler Toffoli uh, was able to do last year, scoring 34 goals with 39 assists, 73 points, really, really good year. Uh, set a new career high with 268 shots. Now he goes to a Devils team that is absolutely loaded up front. They re-signed Timo Meyer to go along with the already impressive Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Dawson Mercer, Jesper Bratt. I mean, this is one of the more deadly top sixes in the NHL. The concern, I guess, for me is obviously Toffoli has relied 
uh, pretty heavily on that that shoot that shot volume. Uh, 268 shots last year to get him to 34 goals. You know, if he ends up on a line with some of these guys that are, you know shoot the puck like crazy, Timo Meyer, we know his shot volume is absolutely insane. Jack Hughes' shot volume has been really really good. So, is there going to be enough puck to go around for Tyler to uh, to fully to replicate? Uh, what he did a season ago is kind of my biggest concern. I guess part of the uh, thing that would alleviate some of that concern is his ADP is relatively decent, 74.1. That's the seventh round. Uh, so he's the type of guy that I think you you could, uh, as you said, D, if you, you, know, you really feel like you want those top-end centers or you draft him a car or you draft a goalie early and you kind of have to fall back on some of these wingers, I think you're going to get steady production from Toffoli, right? Like 30-30 guy most likely, but I don't think he's going to be a league-winning pick. He doesn't probably have that insane upside, even though he's going to this really, really good uh, hockey club. D, what do you think? Um, I'm, I'm with you with the concerns for the most part. The one thing I would say is that he put up those 268 shots and had that career year last year while playing just 16 minutes a night. So mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine um, a path to him getting much more than that in this team because that is my biggest concern just with how crowded that top six is. Um, but again, I don't think they sign him to play him any less than that. I feel good about him getting at least that much, but I do think, you know, there is potential upside for more if he's somehow able to carve out something closer, 18, 19 minutes a night, maybe they go really heavy with their top six usage. And both those lines are kind of around those numbers. Um, Injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just never know. Right. So I do think there is a little bit more upside here than maybe we're giving him credit, but there is some risk too. Cause you, we really just don't know how this top six is going to shake out. I, you read out the list of names, Brock, but, one more time, Hughes, Heischer, Brat, Meyer, Merson, and th- or Mercer, excuse me, and Toffoli. Uh, mm-hmm. Only four of those guys can play on the top power play unit. Um, and even if you say, well, you know, maybe they'll go for a more balanced approach, that still hurts your upside, right? If you're not going to be out there for uh, a minute and a half of every top power play unit with your team's other three best forwards. So uh, he does have a potential to be a great draft day value if, you know, if even if he doesn't see anything north of 60 minutes a night. Um, and again, I'm with you. There's just not too many wingers going after him that I prefer. Uh, ideally, like I said, my wings are set at this point and I'm capitalizing on the depth at center. But if not, Toffoli is another winger that I'm happy to take a swing on in the middle rounds. Because, yeah, I do think he could potentially build on last year, although um, I don't love the chances of that happening, considering just how loaded that top six is. Just to give yeah. you an idea. So he was acquired for uh, Igor Sharon Govich. Uh, Sharon Govich played around 14 and a half minutes last season. Uh, so if they bump a guy like Andre Palat potentially to the to the third line and he plays more of a Sharon Govich role and, and uh, Tyler Toffoli takes Palat's minutes, Palat was seen about 15 and a half minutes last night. So it is difficult to envision T- Toffoli playing much more than you know what he did in Calgary last year. He's also a guy that's only averaged 16-10 throughout his entire 733-game career. So 15 and a half, 16 minutes is probably what you're going to see out of Tyler Toffoli. But Biebs... Last year, Jack Hughes was insane. Nico Heischer was great. Like they have so much talent. And is this team just scratching the surface? And can Tyler Toffoli repeat that seventy-three point season in New Jersey? Yeah, I'm. I'm worried um, that it's almost that we're gonna get not burned, but it's almost gonna be like a Colorado case where it's like just have anyone in that top nine and they're gonna be fantasy relevant. But personally, mm-hmm. I just I don't love this. I, I do totally agree with what you guys said. It is one of the better names. Um, because when you look at what's after him but before last year the guy only ever had one season where he got more than 50 points and that's across 10 years and that was a 58 point year in 2015-16 and to get there he had to have another huge uh huge shooting percentage year like you mentioned he's kind of uh there's 
he's kind of a 200 shot guy throughout his career. And with all these other guys demanding these mouths to feed, I could definitely see him regressing back to that level. Everything in Calgary was a shit show last year, except for Tyler Toffoli. Um, mm-hmm. And things were really bouncing his way. Pretty much everything he put on net was going in. Um, and, and and to do so in 16 minutes just shows how effective he can be in protected minutes. But yeah, I, I just wouldn't bank on him going back to 35 and, a, and 40. But if he starts dropping down, down your draft and people are thinking this whole New Jersey mouse the feed thing, don't be afraid to grab him. Um, he's, there's definitely a point where he makes good value regardless just for being in that lineup. And uh a lot of things happen across the year, and who knows? He might be on top line, the lead shooter, if a couple of uh, the big boys like uh, Timo Meyer and Jack Hughes go down. Who knows? Um, let's not have that happen or even talk about that. Because Yeah, know. last year he was really good value for me. I loved him, one of my favorite sleepers. This year I think the draft capital is a little bit too rich. I'll ask you guys a question in a second, but just here's some of the names he's going ahead of. Jesper Bratt at the position. Jesper Bratt, Drake Batherson, Jonathan Marshall, so Joe Pavelski, Adrian Kemp. Kempe, Jordan, Cairo. So some really, really good players. And he's going, you know, anywhere from a 10 to, to 50 picks ahead of those guys. Give me Kyra and Pavelski ahead of, ahead of them there too. And, and they're going literally, you know, 15 and, and, and 30 picks later. Uh, quick question. D, we'll start with you. He's going a couple spots ahead of him. Would you rather have Jesper Bratt or Tyler Toffoli from the same team? Um... They, like Jesper Bratt That's literally has back-to-back 73-point like, seasons. Yeah. <laughs> no, if I was actually in this position, I would probably sit on both, just knowing those names that are probably going to be there around later. Um, but right now, like I think it should be Bratt, but part of me thinks that just Toffoli is going to have a better year. I think Bratt is going to more feel the weight of Toffoli coming into the picture and some of those other names taking a step forward. I don't know if Bratt is still above 17 minutes a game next year. Um, and his goal scoring shot volume just feels a little less consistent to me. So I think I would lean to Foley, but like I said, honestly, in that spot, um, the way you just kind of laid out the value, Brock, I think it makes more sense just to kind of um, look elsewhere um, at that point and, and wait a round or two and maybe grab one of the other names behind him. I'm part of the Brat Pack, so I got to go with Brat on that one. But uh, <laughs> but I I fully agree with D where it's, it's there, there's better things there. Let, yeah. All right, next on the list, Jonas Corposalo. Corposalo was really, really solid for the Blue Jackets last year. Uh, they were a tire fire. He was still able to put up a 9-11 save percentage on that team, which was absolutely dreadful defensively. Uh, he got moved to the LA Kings at the deadline and was really, really good for the Kings. Uh, you know, we talked about it when that trade happened. We really liked Corposalo actually prior to the deadline because we said if he gets traded to a good defensive team, he's going to be great. That's exactly what happened. The Kings, one of the best defensive teams in the NHL last year, he went on to put up a 921 save percentage, a 213 goals against average. And it earned him a ginormous paycheck this offseason where he lands with the Ottawa Senators to a, uh, what you would imagine to be their number one goalie when he's getting that type of money it really wouldn't make sense for him not to get the bulk of the starts. So if you take a look last year, the at 5v5, the Columbus Blue Jackets, second worst in the NHL uh, in terms of expected goals against. The Senators were were pretty solid. Uh, you know, they were middle of the pack team. They weren't great. They weren't terrible. Uh, so I would imagine that his numbers probably fall somewhere in between what he put up in Columbus and what he was able to do um, in LA. Overall, uh, a 904 career uh, save percentage, but I, I like Corpusal. I've always thought that he's a pretty good goalie. D as a Maple Leafs fan, you've seen it firsthand at times. <laughs> and in, in, in Ottawa, sure, sure. I mean, this is a team to that, that 
is coming, you know, up and coming. They added Vladimir Tarasenko to replace uh, Alex Dabrinkat. You know, Josh Norris will be healthy this year. We'll see a full year of what they can do with Jacob Chikrin. Jake Sanderson, uh, really good rookie season. So good that it earned him an $8 million extension after 77 games. I mean, this is a blue line that looks really, really solid and in a forward group that looks really good as well. So this is a team that... you know, could arguably push for a playoff spot this year. And Corpus Allo being the number one goalie there is is intriguing. So, D, I know you hate talking about goalies, so we'll start with Beams on this one. <laughs> Beams, what are your outlook uh, on Jonas Corpus Allo? Just again, quickly, ADP of 90.1, which is the eighth round. I I think I love Corpus Allo going in this year. Love might be a strong term, but I realize how strong it is, and I'm going to stick to that word. Um, I think Ottawa's going to be one of the more improved teams this season and we're going to focus on that later so i won't jump into it but we saw what could happen with a good defensive team all these players are taking steps forward as they get one year older that's kind of what the ottawa build was um defensively even shabbat can now focus a bit more defensively and not have to do both sides of the puck as much as he's maybe had been dependent on for the last couple years playing 27 28 minutes like you said, if you can get down the middle of last year in Columbus and LA, you're still getting a 916 save percentage. You're still getting a 2.5 goals against average, and you're still going to get a decent amount of wins as he's pretty much going to take. I mean, they, they, they paid him money to take 55, 60 starts. You don't pay a guy that much money to not. And I think a lot of people might kind of sleep on him because he plays for Ottawa, but in a, in a league where there's so many splits in the crease, I think you got to really stick to the guys who play a lot. And if Ottawa is one of those teams who catches a surprise, surprise, this guy could end up being your goaltender two all year. Worst case, he's your maybe goaltender three. Um, but yeah, he could, I, I, I just, we've seen goalies be voodoo in the last couple of years. And I think if anything, I don't mind betting on someone who's going to get a lot of starts and who's kind of proved it on way shittier teams. Yeah, I, I think I'm a little hesitant to say that he's going to get a lot of starts. Uh, Anton Forsberg's been pretty solid. And the biggest bugaboo with Corpus Allo has just been his inability to stay healthy. Yeah, he's uh, never played more years. than 40. Yeah, so I have a hard time. Like, he's definitely going to be the number one. I could see him, you know, 45, 46 starts, maybe push for 50. But I don't think he's going to be like this Connor Hellebuck 60 start guy. Oh, no, right? no. They're no, going to try to keep no. him healthy. But if that's a, you know, if you're getting 50 starts at a Corpus Allo, uh, the ADP I mentioned was 90. That's about 15, 16th goalie off the board. So you're getting him as a mid range goaltender, too. And I think that's pretty fair. What do you think, D? Yeah, I, I do think it's fair. I wouldn't be reaching for him. I think, like I said, his ADP um, feels about right. Just because, um, to me, yeah, that that's the main concern is just the workload, um, Brock. And I agree with what you were saying, Beebs. Like you have to kind of base most of your evaluation when it comes to goaltending off of usage because you usage know so much the defense, of the stats yep. that they return are team stats to begin with. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Again, though, I think it's a real concern with his injury history. And to your point, Brock, I think they're just going to try to, you know, um, just manage the workload a little bit more than your average starting goaltender, at least for this first year of the contract, especially with a capable backup in Anton Forsberg. But um, looking through it, like, I really think his ADP is spot on because there's probably no goalies before him that I would take him before, like Samsonov's going right before him. I'd rather him, Vanacek. Yeah, I'd, rather, I'd him. rather Vanacek. I'd probably rather Freddie still, even with some question marks in that situation. Um, and I'd rather Bobrovsky as well. So those are the four goalies going right in front of Corpus Allo. But then after that, we got Devin Levi. We got Tristan Yaris, uh, Mark andre Fleury, Stuart Skinner, Thatcher Demko. So 
Uh, I may find myself on draft day. It's just depending on how safe you want to be with the pick. Cause I would agree if Corpus Allo gets a little bit more run, if this Ottawa team takes a step forward, he could end up being a nice little steal. Um, but I don't think his upside is that tremendous just cause like I said, even if he's playing really well, I, I do think he's going to be capped to around 45, 50 starts at the very most. So I could see myself on draft day going with someone like Yari, uh, Skinner, or even a Demko instead, if you're a believer in the Canucks this season. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I think Corpus Allo is, is right in that range. Same with Devin Levi. And, uh, so yeah, it just comes down to how lucky you're feeling on the day. Um, but I like his ADP right now. I'd be a player at that range, but like I said, not, not reaching for him at all. I think that these are fair questions. When you look at some of these ADPs, like, yes, I like Corpus Allo, but wouldn't you say that the Red Wings and Senators are in fairly similar situations this year? Uh, I would, I would still give the edge to the Senators, but if you look yeah. at where Corpus Allo is 90th overall, maybe starting 46 games and Philly Huso going 137th. Um, and, and he started 56 games last year. Like to me, the the value that you get, get drafting a guy like Huso is, is kind of overwhelming and would probably lead me to be passing on somebody uh, like Corpus Allo on draft day, just because four rounds later, I can get a guy that's in a very similar situation. Um, that played pretty well last year. So uh, to me, that that's the type of guy. And, and then even, you know, if you look deeper, you say like Hill, Darcy Kemper. Yeah. Like, well, Aiden Hill, Logan Thompson. I mean, those two guys probably going to split starts. They're both going to be around 40 starts again this year. And the, and the golden Knights are outstanding. One of the best defensive teams in the league. So, you know, they're also Aiden Hill, ADP 149, Logan Thompson, ADP 160. So it's like those mid-range goalies don't really do it for me. in like the 90th pick overall, I think I'm still going to be spending time trying to, round out my, my other positions and, and wait if, if some of these goalies are still going to be there, you know, four or five rounds later. We're talking about the centers. We're talking about the Red Wings potentially being playoff teams. So this is a perfect time to segue uh, into our little Betway segment today because our question today is which team that didn't make the playoffs last year is the best bet to make the playoffs this year. So again, uh, all odds from our friends at Betway. I'm just going to rattle off the non-playoff teams from a season ago and, and from best odds to worst odds. The Calgary Flames at minus 200. The Pittsburgh Penguins also at minus 200. Followed closely by the Buffalo Sabres at minus 118. Ottawa at plus 140. Nashville plus 140. St. Louis, Vancouver each at plus 140 as well. Then you've got the Red Wings and the Capitals at plus 230. The Philadelphia Flyers plus 600. The Blue Jackets plus 650. Chicago Blackhawks plus 700. <laughs> Connor Bedard. Arizona Coyotes plus 750, Anaheim plus 1100, Montreal plus 1200, and San Jose plus 1500. So, uh, Beebs, you said you alluded to it earlier. You like Ottawa in this spot at plus 140. Why is that? Uh, half of it's because I liked Ottawa in this spot last year with pretty much the same odds. And I, uh, I actually made a pretty fat bet, and it hurt. Um, when they didn't make the playoffs, they made a little push there, but then uh, a little bit of weak play down the down the stretch closed them out. But I think that they have drastically improved, just more so with I guess more more health. Last year, you did mention that Chitrin's about to play a full season. He really they only, really only got a, a handful of games out of him, so it's going to be great to see him actually worked into the lineup as well. They've had a chance to kind of put things together instead of you know just throw the lineup mid season together. That can always be an issue. Um, goaltending has gotten better in Corpus Solo. I really, really didn't like what was in the net last year, um, closer to the end of the year. No offense to Kevin Mandelizi, who actually played quite good, but, um, you know, it's, uh, 
there's just a lot of pieces put together. The Tarasenko signing really did it for me. It closed out that gap that they lost from Debrinkat. I don't think he's the type of goal scorer that Debrinkat is, but he is the type of impact player that Debrinkat is. If um, So I'm not really too worried there. I just think that they're a more complete team. A lot of guys taking a step forward. Healthy Josh Norris. And at plus 140, I love the idea of getting back a little bit more than I bet um, on a team that I think realistically should have odd like the lower odds um because i i don't i just don't understand the sleeping by the sleeping on them by by everyone but it, it's okay i uh that's why we jump over those all over these bets and hopefully uh hopefully we hit it this year but yeah ottawa is the clear standout to me there um as uh as far as value and as far as who i really think uh should make the playoffs they're probably at the top team there as well yeah, I'll go next just because I'm, I'm in the same division as you. And, and I like the Red Wings, again, a bit of a homer pick. But plus 230, I mean, almost double the odds that you're getting with the Senators. I just mentioned I do think these teams are closer uh, than many kind of give the Red Wings credit for. I think the Red Wings went out and made a lot of moves this offseason, some uh, a little bit questionable, you know, adding Justin Hall, uh, you know, the prime example. But they did make some nice additions as well. And I think, you know, in a more sheltered role, Hall should be uh, fine. Shane Goss Bear, Jeff Petrie. Uh, also added to the list along with Daniel Sprong, Christian Fisher, Clem Costin. So, you know, some nice additions. No, nothing earth shattering like Alex DeBrincat, but I do think this is a much better hockey club this year. And at plus 230, I do like that number. You look at the Atlantic division and the Bruins, you know, lose Bergeron, they lose Krejci. You know, we talked about D, you specifically talked about how you didn't love them being kind of just so reliant on their goalie last year that showed up in the playoffs. They're a team that I think is going to be still scraping to try to make the playoffs. No Bergeron, no Krejci. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I think the Florida Panthers, as great as their run was last year, I still think is a team that is kind of on the cusp. Um, you know, I don't think the Florida Panthers got better this offseason. I think, if anything, they got worse as well. So the Red Wings are improving. The the Panthers, the Bruins, maybe not so much. And to me, I, I think that, you know, I like the Senators probably a little bit better at plus 140, uh, but give me the Red Wings at plus 230. It's a nice number. D, how about you? Um, I'm going to look at the Central Division. I just think after the Avalanche, and I guess you could include the Wild in there, you just got nothing but uh, flawed teams from there on out. So mm -hmm. uh, three teams do have to make the playoffs out of that division. The Stars start with the other teams I was thinking of, um, along with the Avalanche. So I, I do think the Preds can complete with the Wild for that third spot. Um, I like their chances of getting it done better than St. Louis and, and just, I'll keep it simple. And looking at that whole list of teams that are looking to get back into the playoffs this year, uh, nobody's goaltending or blue line is on par with the predators, which tends to matter a lot over the course of an 82 game season. So I'll take Saros and Yossi, uh, to get the Preds back in the playoffs. Beautiful. That was the Betway bets of the day. Please play responsible. Must be 19 years or older. That is going to do it for the first half of the show. We are going to take a quick breather. When we get back, we got a lot of names to go over quickly. Talk about some other familiar faces in new places. For now, enjoy the break. We'll see you back here in 60 seconds.
back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 9, Episode 1 of the DFO Fantasy Podcast, brought to you by Betway. Uh, a very Sergey Fedorov episode of the podcast. There you nice. go, Brock. Anaheim Ducks Love that for you there. Um, but yeah, we're going to keep it rolling here, as Brock said, looking at some familiar faces in new places. And I was just saying before the show, like, there's going to be some names that we talked about today that are being slept on, because... Even with uh, Eric Carlson being the highest ranked ADP at 40, if you want to throw Connor Bedard in there, um, he's the only other one in the top 40 on on average right now in the ADP that is on a new team this season. And um, that's just not going to work. <laughs> the NHL is much more fluid than that. So there's going to be some guys here that are coming across some new opportunities that are going to um, step up and, and really push their names into those top three rounds next year. So there will be some sleepers amongst these names we're going to pick and could definitely come out of one of these next two Brock. Who do you want to get into first here? Yeah. I think just before we jump right back into it, I think it's worth noting that a lot of these players or, or key players that signed this offseason or were acquired this offseason seem to be going to really, really good teams. Right. So I think that's like, they're not stepping into maybe these marquee roles and they're playing more of, of a, a secondary role because they're going to such good teams. Uh, the next two names are prime examples of that. Pierre-Luc Dubois going from Winnipeg to LA, obviously playing a pretty similar second-line center role as he did in Winnipeg, but this is also an LA Kings team that gives plenty of ice time to Philip Deneau, and Philip Deneau has been one of the best shutdown centers in the league uh, in recent seasons. So I, I don't you know, see that line going away entirely. Uh, what it does, though, is it, it gives... Kevin Fiala, a, a, a real offensive center to play with. And I think that those two can make some magic happen this year. Uh, whether it's, you know, Victor Arvinson or Arthur Kaliev on the other side, both very talented wingers as well. I think that this definitely made the Kings a much better hockey club. Last year, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, 27 goals, 36 assists, 63 points, 205 shots on goal. Dubois has always been a pretty steady player, right? Relatively unspectacular, but but pretty consistent around the 60-point mark. He's got three such seasons of, of that kind of production. So much of the same, I think, is to be expected of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Probably won't get to 30 goals, but he'll get close. He'll probably just crack 30 assists. I, I don't, you know, sleeper, maybe. Uh, right now, 99th overall, ninth round. I think that's a nice spot. This is similar, a little bit reminiscent to what we had a season ago uh, where we really, really pushed, let's get your wingers out of the way early, draft the wingers, save your centers for later, go get the Rupe Hints, go get the Mark Shifley's of the world. I think last year, Rupe Hints, Mark Shifley were much better values, probably have a higher ceiling than Pierre-Luc Dubois as well. So I'm not in love with this ADP, but I do think, you know, you've got a, a nice floor built in and if all goes well with Kevin Fiala and Kaliev or Arvidsson or whoever, I do think that there's some upside here. I just don't know if there's enough ice time to go around. I really don't. Like, just quickly, before we move on here, Kopitar last year, 20 minutes. Dano had to be pretty close. He was at 18, almost 18 and a half. Like, there's just not enough ice time. Unless their fourth line just doesn't play hockey all season, it's going to be really difficult for all these guys to play you know, 18, 19, 20 minutes like they're accustomed to. Beebs, what do you think? I uh, I think I think he hit it spot on. He, he's a 60-point guy playing 19 minutes a night in, in what I'd kind of say nicer minutes. Uh, you'd imagine that Kopitar is going to get – I mean, he plays both sides of the puck and so does Zeno, but they're going to get a lot of offensive opportunities and face-offs as well. And if you give me 60 points last season – 
as far as centers go, that's the 44th ranked center. And you're right there next to Casey Middlestad and Joel Erickson Eck. So realistically, if I even get 65 out of them, there's still 36 other centers last year that outscore that. And a lot of them have much higher ceilings or on teams where they're going to demand a little bit more ice time, maybe because of the weaker team, maybe because of there's just not bodies there like Anze Kopitar, like Philip Deneau. So I'm kind of staying away from Pierre-Luc Dubois. I used to kind of think he was a sleeper candidate, and then he burned me just 18 years in a row. So um, it's uh, for me, I, I just don't really love it. Um, like you said, I don't see him getting over the 30 goal mark. And even with a little bit of extra assist from Kevin Fiala, there's just so many more names that I kind of like a little bit more. With that said, if he does drop because people are like, damn, too many mouths, um, then, you know, it's another case of it's kind of the case with a lot of these names. But I wouldn't hate having him, but I certainly wouldn't love him. I think there's about 25 centers I'd rather have before I get him. I have him a little bit lower than his current ADP. Again, rankings aren't completely finalized, but I have him closer to like 115. Uh, Just going to throw a name out there that I have ranked above him. Uh, and is going about 60 picks later. D, would you rather have Pierre-Luc Dubois or Joel Erickson Eck? Dubois, all day. And I, I'm clearly more bullish on him than you guys are, but I actually like him a lot this year. I obviously wish his ADP was a round or two later, um, but I don't think Erickson Eck has anywhere near the offensive upside or the offensive profile that Pierre-Luc Dubois does. Um, and I actually think he's in a better situation now here in LA than he'd been in the last few years in Winnipeg. We're really kind of waiting for him the last few years to just really take on that number one center role in Winnipeg, um, both at 5v5 and on the power play. Mark Scheifele, obviously a huge block to that, right? So um, whereas in LA, like it might be a slow burn, but certainly think he's going to overtake Kopitar for the top, you know, that that one C spot on their top power play unit before season's end. I think at this point in his career, it's, it's not even close uh, how much more effective he is on the power play than Kopitar. You talk about the nose minutes, Adam Lowry also ate up a ton of 5v5 minutes mm-hmm. in Winnipeg on the third line. I don't think he's anywhere near as effective as uh, Deneau, but his 5v5 minutes were actually really close um, to Deneau's last season. Lowry was just under 60 minutes a night in total. Mm-hmm. Deneau, uh, in total, as you pointed out, Brock, was just over 18 minutes a night, but he also played two minutes a night on the power play, which I do not think is going to happen this year. I think they'll be happy mm-hmm. to be able to toll back his minutes because he is going to play some really tough minutes at 5v5 and on the penalty kill. And again, going to be happy to toll back Kopitar's minutes because he's getting older and he plays in all situations as well. So, uh, and then you talk about, you know, he's still got just as high upside line mates with him and the likes of Fiala and the other wingers they have there in LA. So uh, yeah, I think, you know, he's still just 25 years old. I think we have, um, there's really as much hope for him to break out this year as there has been in recent years past. And I think worst Pretty much case, ever. yeah. And I think worst case, he should see usage that, um is equal uh, and again i think it's going to be actually better but worst case he sees usage that's equal to his last few seasons in winnipeg um which gives him to me what is about uh, a 30 to 44 if you look at more of his point per game stats over the last few years he missed about 10 games last year um so yeah i, I think he's got a really solid floor um for the ninth round with great upside so i, I actually really like the value here uh, especially if he carries any wing eligibility because he does have left wing in Yahoo as well. So, um, yeah, I actually like him quite a bit this year, obviously more than you guys by the sounds of it. But I do think this is a guy where we're just kind of looking at the depth chart and what it was last year and not really considering how it's going to quite play out with Dubois in the mix now. Yeah, again, I, I do like Dubois. Um, I have maybe just one round later, so it's I, basically splitting hairs at this point. Um, again, I, I do agree that he is probably better than Joel Erickson Eck, but Erickson Eck at the moment, 60 picks later, it's like, 
you know, if they both end up being 60 point players, that seems like a no brainer, but you know, like they very well could end up in the same range, but I'm not, the reason I'm taking Dubois three, four rounds earlier is because of his upside. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like it's, it's, you're not wrong. Uh, I think like, like I said, it's their fourth line basically has to like not play, which is kind of what happened in Winnipeg last year, where it was like, they didn't have a fourth line. Those guys are playing like six minutes a night where LA does, right? Lazat's a pretty solid, uh, a pretty effective player. So I do think, Somewhere along the lines, the minutes are going to get cut. I I tend to think it's probably going to come more at the expense of Philip Deneau than anybody. Yeah, I think um, it's going to be Deneau and Kopitar. Kopitar yeah, yeah Kopitar doesn't need to play 20 minutes. This is a team that has aspirations to play you know, a 10-month-long season, so they're going to be more than happy to toll both of their minutes back, I think. so. And I, I think don't, it, it could all work out quite nicely for Dubois. Yeah, and I don't think we need to remind anybody just how much we love Kevin Fiala. So uh, having those two riding shotgun together should be really, really good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, next on the list is Vladimir Tarasenko. We talked about him briefly last year. 69 games, just 18 goals, 32 assists, 50 points, 169 shots on goal. Uh, Tarasenko used to be a guy you had to reach very uh, high for, get him very early in drafts. Current ADP, though, 127.1, the 11th round. Uh, yeah, I, I think that Tarasenko probably has some bounce back potential this year. Obviously, the Senators are a pretty good team. He's most likely going to end up on a line with Josh Norris, who's a very uh, talented uh, center guy that can set him up. Last year, he shot just 10.7%, which is 2% lower than his career uh, average. You know, obviously, the shot volume used to be just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, it's come down a little bit, just average, what was it, 2.5 shots per game last year, still solid. Uh, just has to stay healthy. And yeah, I, I do think that there's plenty of bounce back potential here. Tarasenko is a guy that I was always drafting or, or ranking higher than ADP. Uh, and then, yeah, this year, 127.1. Like, I'll, I'll gladly take a shot on him in the 11th round and just hope for the bounce back and, and hope the Senators do take that next step. You know, we saw a little bit of Drake Batherson on the third line last year. You know, whether or not uh, Tarasenko is, is like kind of like the premier guy there and plays with Stutzel, or if he just ends up on the second line with Norris, I think he's in good hands uh, regardless. Beebs, you like the Senators potentially make the playoffs this year. You got to, you know, you said Tarasenko kind of was the reason. Uh, the catalyst behind that decision. So you obviously like him this re- this year as well. Yeah, it was a, it, he was just a great hole filler. I felt for them losing out on Debrinkat. You just they had to do something, and and they I I liked the move, um, even if it may have seen seemed a bit panicky. But we don't care about that for fantasy. Um, I I like the fact that it's only Dominic Kubelik and Zach McEwen behind him in the bottom uh, six roles. I don't see them overtaking him in that top six um, unless it's. Detroit and it's Kubalik like last year where he flies up there, but in the end, he'll be a superstar for 20 games. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, the uh, one thing before Tarasenko got traded to the Rangers, he actually was just about three shots per game. And I think that that's more the Tarasenko that we should expect. Um, now that he is on Ottawa, it, like you said, it, it's, it's kind of, even if he is on that top line or the second line, if he's on the top line, he gets Stutzel into Chuck. And if not, you get Claude Giroux and Josh Norris. I like both of those. I think where he's going in drafts, you can kind of afford to take the chance because by that point you should have some solidified wingers. Um, you should have some options that you can afford this. And I, I don't think, you know, you're, you can expect a point per game so much from him anymore, but Hey, Claude Giroux did it last year. He kind of took a step forward. So it's, uh, it, I, I like Tarasenko. I think, uh, I think you're getting good value for him. If you take him there, I wouldn't be reaching, but get him where, you know, he's going around maybe around before. And I, I don't hate the move. Just to add to your point, he was on pace for 222 shots Mm -hmm. per 82 games when he was with 
The Blues, after he went to the Rangers, his minutes dropped almost a minute and a half per game. The shot volume followed. Uh, so yeah, 222 shots is fine. It's just nowhere near the 290, 280, 300 we saw earlier in his career. With his career shooting percentage, 222 shots would be the equivalent of him scoring about 25 goals, which seems pretty reasonable in the 11th round. And obviously, D, there's upside for him to kind of return to return to form. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think at first glance, the ADP feels about right when you consider the risks. Um, extensive injury history. He's 32 now, moving to a new team like we talked about. And obviously, you know, didn't uh, blow the doors off anybody in New York while he was with the Rangers. But uh, it's just really hard not to fall in love with the upside here that you're getting in the mm-hmm. 11th round. Um, as you both are, no doubt, I'm a massive fan of Tim Stutzel and Brady Kachuk this season. Oh, so um, much. So if Tarasenko was to see an extended run alongside the two of them at 5v5, I, it would literally be the most talented and productive linemates he's ever played with, save for maybe a few weeks with the Rangers in limited minutes last year. Um, and as you talked about, Brock saw a drop off an ice time last year with the Rangers, which is always a fear when you go to a new team, but I do not really anticipate him being, uh, around that 15 minute mark. I, I think he'll be a lot closer, if not higher than what he was at with the blues last season, the cat is gone and they brought, tried to bring in a like for like replacement in Tarasenko. Uh, so I would expect him to assume most of the 19 minutes that the cat was getting last season. Uh, and I really do think that when you're making Tarasenko, you're basically just making a bet that's going to come down to whether or not he can stay healthy and be available um, this season. And that's just a really great bet to make in the 11th round. So just two years removed from a 34 goal, 82 point season. Uh, and I do think the injury risk is more than accounted for in this ADP. So uh, great value and upside in the 11th round here at a very shallow position. Yeah, could have a little bit of a Joe Pavelski-esque resurgence, right? Kind of was on a Sharks team that was on a decline, went to a uh, a younger team, got matched up with two line mates that worked very, very well together. And, and Pavelski's just been absolutely dynamite the last two years. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to be in bad hands no matter where he lands in that lineup. And as you pointed out, D, 19 minutes a night last year for Debrinkat. So plenty of ice time to go around for Tarasenko this year. And as you pointed out, Biebs, not a whole lot of competition on the wings outside of the top. You know, the other three, Kachuk, Tarasenko, uh, excuse me, uh, Kachuk, Batherson, and Giroux. Ridley Gregg, Dominic Kubelik, Matthew Joseph, Zach McEwen. Don't think any of those guys are bumping Tarasenko like out of the top six. six. To me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, really quickly, Tony D'Angelo, 11th round, 127th overall ADP at the moment. Uh, D'Angelo, obviously a, a talented uh, offensive defenseman. He does return to the uh, Carolina Hurricanes where he played in 2022, had an outstanding season going 10 goals, 41 assists, 51 points in 64 games that year. Uh, last year, he was with the Flyers, 42 points, 11 goals, 31 assists in 70 games, playing over 22 minutes a night. The concern for me here with uh, Tarasenko, or excuse me, D'Angelo, is, is that he goes to a team that when he was there, you know, didn't have Brent Burns. Um, now they do. Um, so it's going to be hard for him to probably eat up some of that top power play uh, usage unless they, again, go with the kind of Latang and, and Carlson 2D on the top unit we talked about earlier. But uh, not just be- beyond Burns, you know, Yakim Slavin, Brady Shea, Brett Pessy, Dimitri Orloff. This is a very, very deep blue line. And Jalen Chatfield's Tony- nice too. <laughs> Well, and Tony D'Angelo just not a good like defensive defenseman, right? So at five v five, he's probably going to be fairly limited. So to me, it feels like he actually might be on the top power play unit, just because it's like, why would you bring this guy back? Um, 
to play like 15 minutes on your third pair and second. Pair. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, on, on the third pair in the second power play unit, like he's the best third pair, second power play unit player in the whole league. Like, it, are they just, is it just an embarrassment of riches for the Hurricanes? Well, we've seen them go with a balanced power play basically for the majority of the time, right? Like that seems to be their preferred outlook is having really two solid options and really two solid quarterbacks. So yep. I think it's consistent with that. And then also just Brent Burns age, you're, you know, you don't want to sink or, or put all your money uh, on him being able to stay healthy for a full 82 games and run your power play. So I think it was a little bit of insurance and someone that they know, um, you know, who obviously has maybe not the best reputation in terms of how he might gel into your locker room. It's uh, obviously you know, that's a nice discounted price for them. And they know that, you know, that he works and he can gel and he can fit in the room. So I I think it is kind of more of the depth addition in that sense. But to your point, I do think he's going to see a lot of time on the power play still. So um, for me, what'd you say? He's 11th round right now. Yeah. Yeah. I do not want to have to rely on him as a starting defenseman. Um, I'd love to pick him up a couple games into the season. Yeah. So for me, he'd be more if he falls a few more rounds and I'm taking him to the bottom of my roster because he is just more of an upside. Let's see how that power play situation works out. Um, or let's see if Brent Burns picks up a knock because if, if he misses time, uh, D'Angelo is going to be uh, an awesome spot starter, an awesome play, however long Burns was to be out. I uh, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Tony D is healthy in a couple games early on just because we talked about it. That depth is there and they only brought him in for $1.6 It's a very easy, oh, okay, or they bring them in games where they really need that offensive spark or that seventh defenseman even. Um, Cause I know a lot of Carolina fans love Chatfield and Brock and I had actually put D'Angelo in the lineup for them. And a lot of people reach out. They're like, Chatfield's not going out. So um, uh, I, I just outrage uh, over Jalen Chatfield is not it, what I anticipated. actually, it was hilarious. Um, and, and we respect him as a Windsor guy, uh, one time Spitfire captain, but um, yeah, I think, like T said, he might, he's a great option to grab off the wire and it's kind of where I would look to grab him. I hope he gets healthy in those first couple of days and then maybe he's sitting there. Um, but if, if he does play, it's going to be very protected minutes, very power play only. I could almost see it like a, like a, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, what I'm I, saying like 15 uh, yeah. minutes power play only I'm letting yeah, someone else exactly in the 11th round yeah. thinking they're getting a starting fantasy defenseman and then once he's playing 15 minutes a night he'll you know they'll drop him out of disappointment and then that's what I'm looking at that's my okay exact just to give you don't think just, on wire. This year. Yeah. just to give you an idea here here's the defenseman that he's currently being drafted ahead of Morgan Riley Rasmus Anderson Thomas Shabbat Jacob Chikrin Shea Theodore I would what? Zach Rowenski what I would, I wouldn't take him over any of those guys. It wouldn't, even, no. it wouldn't even be close. No, I I was looking at it before when we you guys were talking about Latang and Carlson. I didn't get a chance to drop the nugget, but um, there was only uh, one instance last year in the top twenty fantasy defensemen of two blue liners coming from the same team. It was Lindholm and McAvoy. Uh, the year before that, there was again one instance, and it was McCarr and, and Devin Taves, which is probably the highest we've seen in recent years in terms of the upside of that second defenseman with Taves kind of just sneaking into the top 12. So it probably um, had a lot to do with the fact they were like plus 75 too. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, So yeah, I just, it's very, very hard um, to be anything close to a starting fantasy defenseman. If you're not the clear cut number one uh, offensive defenseman on your team at the very least, you need to really just have uncontested uh, power play time and i don't think that's going to really be the case at all for for tony d especially to start the season so uh yeah I'm, I'm very much out on him on his adp but we'll be looking to scoop him up a few weeks into the season when all his disappointed draftees are uh letting him go okay 
we're going to skip ahead of the list of a couple names here just because we're talking about this because two defensemen, very quality, going similar spots in drafts. John Klingberg, Morgan Riley. Klingberg's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Last year, he had 33 points, 10 goals, 23 assists in 67 games between the Ducks and the Minnesota Wild. Was much better in Minnesota than he was in Anaheim. Not all that surprising. Um, so, D, you, you know, as a resident Leafs fan, sure, sure. is John Klingberg maybe more of the defenseman to own this year in Toronto. You, you've kind of said before that you want to see somebody other than Morgan Riley running that top power play unit. They, they bring in John Klingberg, a guy that is, you know, very good in that role. Is he, you know, obviously Morgan Riley is still going to be the go-to number one alpha at 5v5 in Toronto. But is John Klingberg, who, uh, just to give you an idea, 128 ADP for Morgan Riley uh, where did John Klingberg go? Like he is so far down the list, 162. So a full 40 spots later uh, than Morgan Riley. Would you lean more towards Klingberg and hope that he is the number one power play guy in Toronto this year? Um, I think just in terms of value, like it just seems to be a much more tenable play. It's easier to kind of um, build that into your game plan for your draft because Klingberg will be there towards the end of the end of uh, end of your draft. And, you know, there's every chance and um, certainly would not be surprised if, if he takes that top spot um, over Morgan Riley sooner than later. However, having said that, I still think Riley is a fine uh, pick at his current ADP. Um, I think that's what, 11th round as well, right around. Yep. Um, right with, right with, uh, yep. Yeah. Cause I think he's going to still get every opportunity to um, reclaim and hold that job. He did have a tough run there over the course of 82 games last year. Uh, but was incredibly effective in the postseason. And you have to say was probably the least best player, maybe outside of Austin Matthews and William Nylander um, in their short playoff run last year. So uh, I do think he's going to start the season uh, as the top option with a lot of rope. We'll we'll see if Sheldon Keith backs me up on that in training camp over the next few weeks, because I can guarantee you the least will be one of the teams that we get power play reports out for. Um, but yeah, I think Klimberg, was brought in as more Morgan Riley insurance for that top power play spot. And maybe someone who could um, threaten him a little bit. It's not the first time we saw this happen. The Eric Gustafson trade last year did not work out in any means, but it was the same idea, right? It was a, a depth piece specifically for that exact position. So they're looking to have other options there. But again, I, I honestly think you're in a pretty good spot if you walk away with both of them. Cause I think Riley um, is a really um, fine pick at his, as current value. I think if it doesn't work out, um, the upside there that, you know, if he was just to hold on to that spot again, would have made him worth taking in the 11th round. Um, and then you can just sort of solidify that with Klingberg. Cause I, I think one of those two guys, obviously, um, within a couple months of the season, we'll have a pretty clear idea of whose job that is and whoever's job it is, is going to be the one worth owning. So you could really just kind of solidify that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that it's well baked into Morgan Riley's ADP to the point where he's actually uh, a nice pick as well. All right, let's stick with the Maple Leafs. Uh, we're talking about them now. Let's stick with them. They added two other forwards that make this list. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, current ADP of 142.2, 12th round. He had 30 points in 50 games, equals 22 assists a season ago. They also added uh, son of Ty Domi, Max <laughs> Domi. Uh, in, he is going in the 14th round, 157.4 ADP. He also, uh, 80 games last year, 20 goals, 36 assists, 56 points. So, um this immediately looks like two players that should have plenty of value. Um, me as a Red Wings fan, I, I can say that I absolutely loved Tyler Bertuzzi and seeing him go uh, last year was painful. Um, 
seeing him sign with the Maple Leafs is even more painful. Uh, <laughs> but as a business decision, I get it. And, and, you know, he's a heck of a hockey player. Uh, he does a lot of the grimy work that should pair very, very well with the likes of an Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Go do the hard work uh, and let them do all the flashy shit. Bertuzzi, Max Domi, probably going to be a very similar player with, with Tavares and Nylander. Again, I'm just kind of just guessing that this is where they end up in the lineup. We saw a lot of Matthews and Nylander last year. I think there's going to be a lot of shuffling among this top six, but I think that you can you can pretty safely say that these guys will be in the top six. Matthew Nyes might have something to say about that, but um, yeah, I think these are both really nice pickups for the Leafs, and I think that they should both be pretty nice pickups uh, for your fantasy team. I mean... Wasn't Michael Bunting going like ridiculously early last yeah. year? Correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I, I don't think remember. He was probably around this. Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. Okay. So Bertuzzi again, twelfth round. Uh, the biggest concern with with Bertuzzi is really just health. Uh, 2021, he played just nine games. Uh, 2022, 68 games, and then 2023, 50 games. So he's missed a lot of time over the last three seasons. But uh, in 2022, in just 68 games, he was a 30-goal scorer, 32 assists, 62 points. He's kind of got that ability, um, and you know, no disrespect to, to my Red Wings, he's really never played with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner either. So I think that there is some untapped potential here uh, for Tyler Bertuzzi. If you just take, you know, I, I, I think he's one of the easiest players to kind of figure out exactly what he's going to be. Because if you just kind of take a look at what Michael Bunting did last year, I think he's probably going to play more than 16 minutes with Bunting than Bunting did last year. Bunting still 49 points in 82 games. That's probably like Bertuzzi's floor. Um, so you, you, you kind of look at Bunting and you're like, okay, he's just a better version of Michael Bunting. And uh, as long as he can stay healthy, he should be plenty valuable in the 12th. So uh, quickly again, Max Domi, 14th round. You know, he was buried in in, in uh, Chicago last year. Went to Dallas, was pretty good. Um, you know, seven points in 20 games, did buried on their roster. But while he was with the Blackhawks, 49 points in 60 games, a little bit more of a focal point there. Uh, probably will play a more similar role to what he played in Dallas, a more support role. Uh, what do you make of these two as a resident Leafs fan, as resident Leafs fan D? Uh, well, first off, I, I just want to say I found a text that I sent last February uh, to a buddy, fellow Leafs fan, um, and we were just talking about the upcoming trade deadline. And I, there's a text that I sent, and I found it, and it literally says my dream deadline hall would be Bertuzzi and Domi. And obviously that didn't come <laughs> to fruition but it, uh, last year, but it did feel like a bit of a fever dream a couple months ago when they signed them both within that 24-hour span. So, yeah, I, I think they're just ideal – complimentary pieces to this core um maybe it's playing the narrative a little bit too much in terms of the grit and you know kind of the tenacity that maybe the Leafs are missing and the mental edge that it looks like they haven't had at times in the postseason in the past and yeah these are two guys that just seem to check every one of those boxes from fantasy perspective I like Bertuzzi a whole lot more just look at the bag he got compared to Domi I think it's pretty clear which one is at least initially going to get the run with Austin Matthews on the top line and whether or not it's William Nylander or Mitch Marner and that third spot, obviously a tremendous spot to be either way. Uh, and I do think he has more op- upside, more individual skill and offensive um, production that we've seen out of the past than, than Michael Bunting. I, I think Bunting, good player, but much more of a product of the situation that he was in. Um, so, yeah, I really like Bertuzzi this year. He's been productive when given the opportunity to play big minutes with elite linemates in the past. Um, look at the run that him, Larkin, and Mantha had for a couple of seasons when they were all healthy. Uh, and their 5v5 numbers were always right up there with some of the best in the league. Yeah. Um, so I think when you give them the potential to sneak onto a power play, top power play unit, 
um, because we have seen in the past, again, uh, Sheldon Keefe's made a habit of holding William Nylander to run the second unit, opening up a spot for the likes of a bunting uh, or Ryan O'Reilly on the top power play unit in the past. So there's certainly potential for that to open up for Bertuzzi as well, even if the team is fully healthy. Um, and again, just like his line last year, obviously pretty disappointing injury riddled moved to the Bruins. Like you said, Brock, uh, but just two years ago, he's uh, racked up 32 goals and 30 assists in 68 games with the wings. So, uh, it's not hard to imagine him getting back to summer production this season, especially if he is playing alongside Matthews and Marner. So, um, I, I like him a lot. I think in the 12th round, um, there's some nice upside and actually a pretty nice floor, um, at a spot in the draft where probably on average, um, the players getting dropped within a few months of the start of the season, right? So I, I really like what looks to be a safe pick here with some decent upside in the 12th round. And Bertuzzi, Max Domi to me just doesn't have the counting stats. It won't have um, the ice time to really make much of a dent. I think he'll be more of like a weekly streaming play. Um, if injuries hit this team, if he moves up the lineup, I think that's when we'll be talking about Domi more um, on the streaming segments of the show. Yeah, uh, I... yeah go ahead, Peeps. I was going to say there's really not much I could add because I was just sitting there nodding like, hell yeah, he's hitting it, he's hitting it, he's hitting it. Um, I think we found another mid-show sleeper right here in Tyler Bertuzzi, big time. Um, One thing that I really like about him, he's a phenomenal net front presence. And say, I know Tavares kind of plays that role on PP1 right now, but say they need someone just there or someone who could just bump in those ugly goals. This guy absolutely eats around the net. That 30-goal season he had in Detroit, Brock could probably back it up. But he scores those gritty-ass goals that you, you need. And uh, and that's going to translate well. It's pretty much, like you said, Michael Bunting plus. And I I was really lucky to get some, uh, some Michael Bunting last year, and it helped a lot of fantasy teams. So if you can get a Michael Bunting plus – in the 12th round, I think you've got yourself a steal. I, uh, I'd i be going after this guy all day in drafts and let other people worry about who's not on top power play yet. Let them worry about those things. Toronto's one of those teams we've seen offensively. You can they don't you don't need a guy on that top power play. It's like one of three teams in the league um, and they can still give you the production that, that you desire from them. So, yep, I love some Tyler Bertuzzi this year. Um, I think he is in the perfect role and we saw him put up, you know, uh, on pace for 62 points in Boston. If you had played 84 games there um, and he was playing top line minutes and then in the playoffs, he was just an absolute freak. So and I, I, um, yeah. I do think just to uh, compound your point, because I do think that he is going to be looking for the bag this season. Like that's Ooh, why yeah. he signed the one year deal. Um, yeah. So I think he's going to be happy to stat pad whenever the opportunity presents itself. Um, mm-hmm. And when the Leafs do get a fair amount of those point nights, those big blowout wins, um, and yeah, I would expect Tyler Bertuzzi and the player he is to just be hungry for the full 60 minutes on those nights. So when the other team yeah. is packed it in after 20 minutes and you got a dog like that, that's still trying to pad a stat. Got that dog in. Yeah, yeah, it's an excited, it's an exciting position to be in as a fantasy owner. So uh, yeah, just a lot to like for Bertuzzi this year. Yeah, this is a guy too. Like, I don't think we really saw healthy Bertuzzi until the playoffs last year. And when we did, it was, he's kind of unstoppable when you have other options around him that people have to focus on. And uh, last year, when he first came back, he looked incredibly slow for Detroit. I think he's had this offseason. He's been able to kind of tune it back in. And we're going to see a 30 30 Tyler Bertuzzi like we did a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, not the greatest skater ever, so never. He, yeah, he, he never looks all that fast. But uh, <laughs> I, I think kind of like a, a a fair comparable for him is somebody like Arturi Lekkinen, right? Like goes mm-hmm. just kind of a, a, a grinder that goes and plays with like elite talent. You look at Lekkinen last year, fifty one points in sixty four games. Like that's the type of production you could you could you know see pop out of Bertuzzi this year. Um, just quickly, we were talking about mid uh, show sleepers. Bertuzzi one forty two point seven. 
When I was looking at the ADPs, Nick Ehlers, 157.8. I wrote about him the other day. That's just bananas. Also, Patrick Wine has an ADP of 159.4. Um, you've you seen Goudreau's too, right? What? Just absolutely. Goudreau, uh, not, not in the same territory, obviously, but I think he. 79. Like, yeah, it's it's yeah. wild. Oh, but Lion A's. Line A's is, stock line this year. A's, <laughs> yeah, dude. Like that Lion A's ADP is absolutely outrageous. Um, okay, let's go uh, kind of more rapid fire segment here. Uh, Riley Smith is somebody we were going to kind of gloss over a little bit, but now the injury to Jake Gensel, I mean, it's not a new injury. He had surgery in early August. He's expected to be reevaluated 12 weeks from that point. They just forgot to schedule the surgery until August. Apparently it it means he's going to miss at least the first month of the season. He'll be out for, for all of October. could be back early November. If that 12 week, uh, timeline's accurate. They said it'll be reevaluated in 12 weeks, which means like they could evaluate him in 12 weeks and be like, you're going to miss more time. So either way, <laughs> bringing in Riley Smith will help offset that loss a little bit. Um, Riley Smith, you'd imagine, is the type of guy that's going to end up playing uh, with Sidney Crosby, Ricard Raquel, Brian Rust in that range. Outside of Riley Smith, Ricard Raquel, and Brian Rust, the wings in Pittsburgh leave quite a bit to be desired. You're left with like Alex Nylander, Drew O'Connor, Matt Nieto, Rem Pitlick. So Riley Smith is going to get plenty of minutes in Pittsburgh with the really, really best of what the Pittsburgh Penguins have to offer. Uh, Riley Smith is kind of just who he is, right? 26 goals, 30 assists last year. That's pretty much what Riley Smith does. So I don't think that Riley Smith is going to be a guy that like goes and plays with Sidney Crosby and is all of a sudden amazing. That being said, Sidney Crosby has done better with worse. So um, Riley Smith, I think, is a guy in the 13th round that you can take a a flyer on. You know exactly what you're getting with him. You're going to get pretty reasonable shot volume. Uh, you're gonna, you know, basically, you know, cement yourself a 55, 60 point floor. And if he's playing a full season with Crosby, there might be some untapped potential there. We've never really seen him play with the Sidney Crosby before. So, uh, I mean, any additional thoughts on Riley Smith? I, I like going after him where he's at in the drafts, 13th round, bottom of your roster. So, you know, probably talking like a streaming type player anyway. And, uh, that's a great time to just look at short-term value, right? And yeah, um, I think he's a guy that, like you said, can just help fill out your roster and maybe give you some really nice secondary scoring early on in the season. Uh, and probably someone who is going to outperform his uh, yearly projections within that first month, right? Like he's going to be performing uh, above what we would expect, above what, what we would expect to see once Gensel returns. Um, so I, he's a really nice selection to go after because you can hope he kind of gets off to hot streak, takes advantage of that extra playing time. Maybe, you know, he's around somewhere around 12, 15 points to the first 10 games gets a little hot. Right. And then you can look to, exactly. You can look to ship him off, uh, before Gensel comes back, uh, and just take advantage of your, um, your savviness and your ability to listen to this podcast. So, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> You know, if you're ever stuck between two guys and, you know, one is in a situation like this where they're going to be able to really just hit the ground running, it's always better to go with a guy who has that short term upside because then that's just an extra uh, asset for you to try to work in your league. Speaking of starting hot trading and then cooling off, Kevin Hayes is next on the list. He goes from Philadelphia to St. Louis. Kevin Hayes's first 23 games last year, he had 24 points. 
He finished the season with 30 points in his final 58 games. Uh, We were like literally beating the drum, like, please trade this man if you have him on your roster and get whatever you can with him or for him. And and hopefully that worked out for you. Because, yeah, he basically matched his second half production in 23 games uh, to start the season. So he ends up in St. Louis where he's going to be behind Robert Thomas and Braden Shen on the depth chart, most likely probably not going to be. Uh, worthwhile will probably be a decent streaming target, but I don't really have any interest in drafting a centerman like Kevin Hayes in the 13th round. Beeps, anything from you? I mean, I went at Pierre Dubois earlier for being a 60-point guy and how there was, you know, 35 other names that landed ahead of him last year. If we're only getting 55 or 54 out of Hayes last year, and he was playing some top-line minutes for quite a bit um, originally in Philadelphia, then I want really nothing to do with him. We've mentioned it before. Center is deep, and if I'm only getting... 55 points which is his career high out of him i don't even want him on my roster and that's his career high so yeah i'm with beebs i i will have zero shares of kevin hayes this year um i just think he's a guy that needs to be in a situation like he was in philly last year where there's just no other option he's getting 20 minutes a night playing all situations i would like to thank him however uh because he did net me uh, a mid-round selection in my dynasty league last year so thanks kev You want to know something absolutely just bonkers? Yep. Uh, Kevin Hayes is being drafted. Okay, he's only being drafted in two percent of leagues, so never mind. But his ADP is actually higher than Robert Thomas, who's only being drafted in three percent of leagues. What? Huh? Yeah. So Kevin Hayes is better than Robert Thomas. You heard it here first. Um, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. If those yeah, two are available at the same time, ever. please draft Robert Thomas over Kevin Hayes. Uh, okay. Dimitri Orlov's next. He goes from Boston to Carolina. He went from Washington to Boston, Boston to Carolina. Um, Yeah, he was ridiculous, right? They were calling him Bobby Orlov in Boston. Uh, (laughs) He was insane when he was with the Bruins. He's just not going to be all that valuable in Carolina. We talked about how D'Angelo might not even be all that valuable. Uh, So Orlov, certainly not a guy that's going to, you know, eat power play minutes in in Carolina. He's also a guy that's like kind of just been like a 30-point player throughout his career. He's you know, finds himself in a very similar role to like basically his entire career in Washington. He also doesn't even really hit that much. If your league has like hits and blocks, like maybe, but no, um, JT Confer goes from Colorado to Detroit. He had a nice year last year, 52 points, 17 goals, 35 assists. Uh, he's currently going in the 14th round, 163.9 uh, is ADP. Uh, this man was like just a great waiver wire pickup last year. Cause he played just the most amount of minutes ever over 20 minutes per game. I just don't see that happening in Detroit. Uh, last year was a career year for him. He got that bad. Good for him. Bad for Detroit. He's, you know, a very solid two-way player. He's going to be battling with Andrew Kopp for minutes behind Dylan Larkin. I just don't think I'll have any Andrew Kopp shares either. If he ends up being a 20-minute player somehow and he's on the waiver wire, sure. Uh, D's darling Blake Wheeler goes from Winnipeg to New York. ADP of 163.9. He's in the 14th round. We kind of glossed over these last few guys, but I do think Blake Wheeler is pretty interesting. Probably the um, best one you named there. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, like, at worst, uh, he plays with Vincent Trocek and Artemi Panarin. At best, he plays with... Because of Banjad, Alexi Lafreniere, neither has done a whole lot in their limited time with either one of those lines. I think Kako is probably his biggest, uh, you know, issue in terms of trying to carve out a huge role in that top six. But I mean, Blake Wheeler is a guy that's played, you know, only 17 minutes a game last year. That's probably closer to what we can expect in New York than the 19, 20 minutes he was playing before that. But he had 16 goals, 39 assists, 55 points pretty quietly last year in 72 games. Obviously, a guy that's more assist heavy than he is uh you know goal heavy uh his shot volume has dropped off a cliff in recent years but still in the 14th round if 
like I don't care which one is you're playing with Panarin or you're playing like obviously I want to play with Zabanachat. Uh yeah. but if you're playing with Panarin and Trocek, I mean it, it could be worse in the 14th round. This guy has 10 more seasons higher than Kevin Hayes' career high season in points. Yes. And yes, granted exactly. and, and last later. year, last year uh-huh. in his and his wing last year in his down year, we'll call it, he still had 55 points. That's a Kevin Hayes PR right there. This is yeah. insane. Yeah, so give me Blake Wheeler on the wing. Still still only 37 years young. D's um, chomping but, at the bit to get in here. Yeah, no, I, I love Wheeler. D, go crazy, dude. Let the dog out of his cage. Go nuts. No, I just I think he is the perfect player to pick up in the final round of your draft just because it mm-hmm. should be really obvious really quick whether or not he's going to be uh, a factor in fantasy hockey this season and whether or not you're going to want to have him on your roster. If he's playing 13, 14 minutes a night and he's buried in their bottom six and he looks like he's just going to be more of a depth piece for them to maybe uh, move up the lineup due to an injury, then yeah, you're going to be able to drop him and move on from him pretty quickly. If he's playing more like 17 minutes a night, I probably would expect a bit of a bounce back and no, not getting anywhere near um, what we were used to getting out of him in his prime, just because, as you said, Brock, he doesn't shoot the puck enough anymore. But I do think he could be a really sneaky source of assist if he's going to get those kind of minutes. Uh, but yeah, based on where he's going, there's no investment here. You're just really picking him up at the end of your draft. You can see for the first two or three games how his minutes shake out uh, and make the decision on him at that point. All right, we had D go off about the Maple Leafs earlier. So now it's Beebs o'clock here on the show. Ooh. A trio of Colorado Avalanche to talk about. Thomas Tatar signed this afternoon. He somehow already had an ADP of 165.2 as an un, uh, as a free agent. Pretty nice year in uh, New Jersey last year. 20 goals, 28 assists, 48 points in 82 games. Uh, but they also uh, acquired Ryan Johansson in the offseason. He had 28 points in 55 games last year. He's currently going undrafted. And they also got Jonathan Drouet, Nathan McKinnon's best buddy, um, who is also going undrafted, I believe. So you would imagine that someone here is going to factor into this top six. Ryan Johansson seems like a lock to be this year's JT Comfort. If Ryan Johansson is playing 20 minutes a night, I mean, I, you you could interest me. I mean, his his line mates are going to be quite good. He's going to have, you know, Nachushkin or, or, you know, maybe Rantanen. We saw Rantanen and the McKinnon break up a little bit last year. He's going to have Lekkanen. Sitar has always produced really solid 5v5 numbers. So, I think you could probably interest me in Ryan Johansson. He's currently going undrafted, so it's like not like you're going to have to uh, invest a whole lot of stock. He's one year removed from a 63-point season in Nashville. He's never really played more than like 19 minutes a night. He's averaged 20 or 17 minutes. So if he plays 19 minutes a night in Colorado like JT Comfort did last year, sure. Uh, it seems likely that Jonathan Drouin ends up with McKinnon just because they're best buddies. But if he doesn't and Tomash Tatar ends up there, I mean, now let's we can just really stop the hype train here, Beebs, because there's a good chance that it's like Lekin and McKinnon and Ranton and yeah, and whether it's Drew A or whether it's Sitar, they're probably just going to be on the second line with Nichushkin and and, and Johansson. It's probably not going to be that juicy, but in that last couple picks of your draft, it, it might be worthwhile to pick up a Tatar or Drew A and just hey, if they end up with McKinnon, especially you know as the the preseason progresses and we're seeing like maybe some of these lines shake out. I think it's worth the dart throw. Yeah. It's certainly something that you should keep an eye on and keep an eye on dailyfaceoff.com and our lines because um, you know, we're always going to be up to date on it, but realistically like this could be a end of the draft 
maybe not not winner, but this could really help your team. We saw people with Lekin in a couple years ago um, being like when they're getting a point per game out of him as an undrafted player, losing their minds and loving it. And that's kind of, I don't see Drewen giving you that. I think that people are going a little too hard on the narrative of, oh, in Halifax, he did this. Um, but in Halifax, he did have 70 goals and 213 points in 95 games next to Nathan McKinnon. I love um, how you but, said people are going too hard on it, but then immediately referenced it. No, yeah, I had to because, you know, if I don't, everyone else is going to. Um, but no, I, I could see Duran working his way kind of down that lineup a little bit, especially with the Tatar news today. Um, without that news, I could have gotten behind the narrative of, oh, maybe he can work in the top four or, or top six. But he has really struggled as of late in the last couple of years. Um, he's a Can I rattle chip- off his goal totals? Just really yeah, quick. please do give us last year's because I know it was like historically bad. So 2022, he or 2020, he had seven goals in 27 games. Okay, not Ugh. terrible. Okay. 2021, he had two goals in 44 games. 2022, <sighs> he had six goals in 34 games. Ugh. And last year, he had two goals in 58 games. My man, my man has scored 17 goals in his last 136, sorry, 163 games played. That is nine goal per 82 game pace, shooting yeah. 6.6%. That is yeah. insanely bad. Yeah, you would have that's thought like Phil like shit. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, no, that's why I think he's a more wait and see. But I, I do think that Tatar holds some value over there. Um, as a late pick, as you mentioned, he plays, uh, I believe he's both wings on Yahoo. This is a seven time 20 plus goal scorer across 12 seasons. So over 50% of his seasons have been 20 plus goals. And you don't mind that type of production and a three time 55 plus uh, point score. Granted, he's kind of capped there most seasons. Um, but last year, what kind of stood out to me is while he was in Jersey, he was a plus 41. If he can really prove that he's more of a two-way player than he's most just such think. a good five-way uh five on five player that's exactly it and and last year colorado honestly struggled in 5v5 um i'm sure everyone knew that because they were a heavy heavy power play team they just had so many injuries so it's a great depth piece and one that i wouldn't yeah. mind with my last pick Rijo, same idea rijo has been a very um he's actually been a pretty productive player throughout his career he is a three-time 60 plus point scorer um and if uh if we're talking kevin hayes I got to just keep shit on Kevin Hayes. But if we're talking <laughs> Kevin Hayes, then we definitely have to be talking about Rijo. Um, I think you put it perfectly. JT Comfort kind of just was like getting the points from being there last year. And Rijo is going to be in the same position. He's going to be much better now that a lot of the pressure is off him, that he doesn't have to hold that top line role. You mm-hmm. kind of go back and chill. So I wouldn't, uh, if you're, if you're at the end of your draft and say you need a center, say you need a winger, go either Tatar or Rijo. I think one of, I think they really could help your team. Um, and Colorado's just been so elite scoring. I don't see it slowing down. Their defense moved the puck forward so quick. And Bowen Byram or Kale McCarr is usually always going to be on the ice when Rijo's yeah. out there. So Or Tatar. Um, and that just in itself uh, makes me giddy. So I, uh, I like the other two. I mean, I wouldn't go sprinting for either of the three. But if you can, if they fall to you, there's absolutely... Well, they will fall to you. They, th- yeah. I mean, they're, they're basically undrafted at the moment. I that think that Tatar is hard because, you know, he was a free agent. So if he... I see him being like the one that everyone jumps on where they're like, oh, Tatar... And I still don't think he's going to... I still think... Like, I mean, Tyler Bertuzzi is almost certainly playing with Austin Matthews and his ADP yeah, is still pretty low. But that was Beebs O'Clock on the yeah. DFO Fantasy Podcast. That was your Colorado Avalanche update. Um just to, give, just to give just to give just to give a little bit of credit, he was on pace for 38 assists last year, um, while only playing under 15 minutes a night. 
um, in Montreal. So that's impressive. He just can't score. But, I mean, if he's picking up 50 assists next to McKinnon and Ranton, it is what it is. Okay, uh, really quickly here. D, Taylor Hall goes from Boston to Chicago, probably going to be playing with Connor Bedard's 14th round. Any interest? Yeah, I'm in the back of the draft. Why not? Um, he's not that far removed for some pretty productive seasons. Should be getting a, a ton of run, more ice time that he's gotten uh, over the last few years. Um, but again, he kind of saw a similar situation in Arizona and was pretty disappointing. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 not too crazy for Taylor Hall, but I'm I'm happy to add him to the back of my roster um, and kind of wait and see how that shakes out. Because obviously it's just a big question mark. Like who the hell knows how Bedard's line is going to operate at 5v5. I would think just by the cast surrounding him, it's probably not going to be great. And we're probably going to be looking at mostly power play production. But if he really just hits the ground running, he looks to be an effective two-way player and an effective play driver out the gate, then I think Hall could be set up for a pretty nice season because you know they're going to see a ton of miss together on the power play. So I like it. It's a good, nice upside for the bottoming roster. Yeah, I mean, Connor Bedard wasn't even there last year. And Max Domi was on pace for a 67-point season. Uh, playing 18 minutes a night in Chicago. So you could see similar usage out of Taylor Hall this year. And yeah, he actually gets the chance of playing with Connor Bedard. And I think it's just another name that'll be easy to move. If he gets off to a hot start and mm-hmm. maybe a bit of puck luck his way, um, it'll be easy to sell kind of the resurgence of Taylor Hall playing alongside the uh, the young phenom. So yeah, text your buddies. Hey, remember when he won the heart? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's all you need. You're good. You got your back. That was a good Kermit, Kermit the Frog impression. Um. Yeah, yeah I mean, we'll out. obviously get to it at later episodes, but I mean, like, man, like, I just love when these generational talents come into the league. Like, it's just so much fun, especially from a fantasy perspective. Like, Connor Bedard just really could be an absolute game changer. His ADP's 40 right now, so it's, like, interesting, such an interesting spot because he could basically tank your draft if he's not, you know, that great, or he could be a league winner. It's just so much fun, and we'll obviously talk a lot about Connor Bedard in future episodes, but for now, let's keep rolling here. A couple more names. Michael Bunting moves from Toronto to Carolina. Could be with Sebastian Aho, but uh, like we said last year, you know, basically 49 points with, with, with Matthews and Marner is probably not going to get much better than that. Uh, Matt Duchesne goes from Nashville to Dallas. Matt Duchesne, uh, was it two years ago, was just outstanding. Yep. Last year, not so much. Uh, probably more of a depth piece in Dallas. That team looks very, very scary. Uh, you know, they've got it really kind of these these two these trios together now. You've got Hans Robertson, Pavelski, one of the best lines in the NHL. We really saw Jamie Benn and Wyatt Johnston work some magic last year. Evgeny Dadanoff in the mix there was really good uh, to round out that line. And now you've got Tyler Segan and Matt Duchesne probably working together on the third line with like somebody like a Mason, Mason Marchman, Ty Delandria, uh, maybe Logan Stankoven. Like they got so many young players that are really good. It's a really, really dangerous Dallas team, but I just don't know if Matt Duchesne is going to play enough minutes to really be uh, a viable fantasy option. With that said, 15th round at the moment, 169.2. This is going to cost you a lot. It's probably worth the flyer. Yeah, I would yeah. agree at the bottom of the draft. I don't like the damage it, it did to my Wyatt Johnson stocks. Um, <laughs> I still think Johnson is a fine flyer to take at the bottom of your draft and redraft leagues as well. For sure. Um, but yeah, it's I I totally agree. It's a another, again, just perfect target for the back of your draft because we don't know how that situation is going to play out. Uh, we're assuming Hinson Robertson and Pavelski are going to stick together like they have been over the last couple of years, but you, you just, you never really know. Um, and who knows, we could be looking at Hintz, Robertson, Duchesne in the first game of the season, right? Or Duchesne, Hintz, 
Dadanov. Like it, you really, we don't know how it's going to shake out, uh, but you'll get uh, an idea pretty quickly. Uh, and again, a team that I think, as you kind of alluded to, Brock, that has been pretty stagnant with their line combinations in years past. So not expecting any big changes, but if there are, we'll probably know pretty early in the season. Uh, and then you can make an educated decision at that point. So yeah, like him at his current ADP, but I am not going to hesitate to drop him if he's stuck on the third line. Alex Kalorn goes from Tampa to Anaheim. He wasn't valuable in Tampa, so he's probably not going to be valuable in Anaheim. Jason Zucker goes from Pittsburgh to Arizona. Uh, A guy that's kind of betting on himself. He's going to get moved at the deadline for sure. Uh, Pretty productive player throughout his career. Probably will be a waiver wire pickup at some point. Decent streaming option. But Jason Zucker, currently 15th round. Not a whole lot of uh, uh, interest there. Uh, Gabe Velarde goes from LA to Winnipeg, currently being undrafted. He could be a second line center in Winnipeg, play with a guy like Nick Ehlers. I think Gabe Velarde is a really nice addition um, at the bottom of your roster. I think you guys would both agree with me there. Yeah. yeah. Again, another, a a little bit of added intrigue because he is a young player that, you know, seems like he could just break out if he gets more minutes. So pretty exciting uh, addition for the bottom of your roster. Again, you add him, you see if he's getting those extra minutes, see what his usage looks like. Uh, and if he's still around 14 minutes a night, then you can cut him loose. Otherwise, yeah. uh, you've got a nice fine for the bottom of your roster. Yeah, and he's a goal first player. Um, and you can't get many of those this late and someone who realistically threats 30 plus. So give me Gabe the babe. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Pierre Lujibal earlier, averaging 18 and a half minutes a night. Mm-hmm. If Velarde slides into that role, I mean, Blake Wheeler on good. Too. just lots of minutes in that top six to go around. Yeah, and, and, and currently, as I mentioned, going undrafted. Ryan O'Reilly, basically always kind of like a bus pick for us because he usually goes too early because of his draft name or his name. Uh, current draft stock is undrafted. Uh, he goes from Toronto to Nashville, where he will probably be their number one center. Uh, a couple other names to throw at you from the Nashville Predators, all probably guys that are going to go undrafted, but worth kind of mentioning that they moved. Gustav Nyquist is also there now. Same with Dennis Kirianov. Um, Nyquist, O'Reilly, Forsberg, um, you know, kind of a, a line that you could potentially see uh, playing together at the top of that that that, that team. Um, minutes, plenty of to go around. Uh, whether or not any of them are really all that valuable probably remains to be seen. But, um, you know, names that have had fantasy relevance in the past, and if they get off to the season uh, on a good note, good foot, they should be fine there. Uh, Alex Newhook goes from Colorado to Montreal. Uh, Newhook, obviously a guy who, very early pick, has plenty of uh, upside, but... I just don't know. I mean, it, surprisingly enough, with how bad Montreal kind of is, they still are like pretty deep. They're just like loaded yeah. with just like third line players. At, at outside average. Of the, yeah, like outside of their like you know Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, it's kind of just a lot of just meh. Alex so, Newhooks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So not a whole lot to like there. Provorov goes from Philly to Columbus. Uh, not going to have a whole lot of value outside of his hits leagues. Just you know, obviously Zacharyski's a stud. Matt Dumba goes from Minnesota to Arizona. That's kind of interesting. Another name to keep an eye out in Arizona, I guess. Uh, would be uh, Sean Dersey. Obviously, he was a guy that that was you know pretty uh, yeah, yeah. impressive during his time when Drew Doughty was out. So he could be a guy that that moves into a, a bigger role for the Coyotes. JJ Moser was solid there last year. Yusuf Almaki was awesome. So uh, a Chitrin, little bit of a Dasa spare before that. That that top power play spot is again. It just shows the value of a top power play spot that even Arizona's power play defenseman is pretty much always worth worth rostering so. and that top well, line uh, is nice yeah like we love that top line we love keller we love schmaltz we love hayton so yep. yeah anybody who who eats that minute eats those minutes is going to be valuable i think What's it's a pretty good chance it's 
Uh, low, I'm pretty sure. Very low. Yeah, I don't even think he's being drafted. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for that yeah. episode. Yeah, Barrett Hayden, zero percent drafted, undrafted. Uh, we'll get to all that later in uh, the episodes. But here we go. <laughs> uh, a couple more undrafted players that made moves in the offseason: James Van Riemsdyk from Philadelphia to Boston, Igor Sharangovich, uh, part of that Tyler Toffoli trade from the Devils to the Flames, could see a pretty impressive. Uh, role in the top six for the Flames might be a name to keep an eye on late in drafts. Evan Rodriguez goes from Colorado to Florida. Another guy that mm. can play in the top six for the Panthers, maybe an Alexander Barkov line mate. Uh, Gustav Nyquist just mentioned him. Mike Hoffman, Anthony Duclair, Philip Zadina all go to the San Jose Sharks. Uh, along with Mackenzie Blackwood, he's probably going to share the crease with Capo Kakinen, all going to San Jose, who are going to be a you know, just massive tire fire. I thought um, you were going to say wagon. And I was like, I'm putting my foot down so hard. No, no, no. What do you think I am? Just an idiot. Uh, all right. That is going to do it for season nine, episode one of the DFO fantasy podcast presented to you by our friends at Betway. Gentlemen, it's just the beginning. Um, if you haven't listened to this show before, you just stumbled upon the DFO Fantasy Podcast. We attack the offseason the exact same way every year. We start off with a show like this, just a primer, get you ready for it. And then we come at you with five huge, juicy episodes. Centers, the left wings, the right wings, the D and the goalies. We give you each our respective top tens, a consensus top ten, a sleeper, a breakout, a bust, and a rookie at the position. It's performed tremendously in the past. We've picked some outstanding sleepers in those episodes, some good busts as well. So be sure to tune in. The first one will be coming at you very, very soon, a center edition. And uh, until then, I'm Brock Seagate. We've got Dylan DeBerthing, Michael Beesbody. We'll see you back here for centers. Oh, it's so nice to be back. Peace.